Last week we started this little series on the book of Nehemiah, and we said that Nehemiah lived in a time when God's people were being brought back into the promised land after going on a journey of being exiled for their disobedience and rebellion against the Lord. And so now, even though they're home, it's not right. Even though they're home, they're still not thriving. That there's, there needs to be a rebuilding. Just because you're in the promised land doesn't mean life's working as God intended yet or that you've arranged yourself in order to thrive. So their walls are broken down and their gates aren't destroyed. And we talked last week a little bit about how without healthy boundaries in our lives, we don't have peace. Without healthy boundaries in our lives, like, a, like an immune system in a body says, this doesn't belong here or this does belong here. And that's what keeps us alive in a, in a heart. God's people have to have the capacity to say no to what's unholy and destructive and yes to what's life-giving and of God and be able to know the difference and say no and let it in and let, let what's right in and let you get what I'm saying. I don't need to finish my sentence. But they didn't even have gates. And a person that doesn't understand boundaries, doesn't have any boundaries in their life, is at the mercy of whatever other people want to do. Whatever other people want to do. So you are either in that situation, a slave to other people, or constantly anxious and in conflicts. Big smile. And some of us are actually grown up in homes where we've been, we've been so used to living without healthy boundaries that we're, we've been in panic, fight-or-flight mode our entire life, and we think it's normal. And when somebody healthy comes into our life and just wants to love us and treat us right, it doesn't feel like love because it doesn't have enough screaming and cussing and throwing things to smell like love to us. It doesn't have enough manipulation and abuse and name-calling and drama to even register as what we're used to as love. All right, that's not completely off-topic, even though some of you think it is. It has to do with we have to establish healthy boundaries. And one of the first things God does when we come to Jesus is, well, the first thing he does is he forgives us. Amen? Yeah. Then he puts his nature in us and his spirit on us. Guess what? You didn't do it, Jonathan. That wasn't your job. You didn't lift a finger to be born again. That was 100% Jesus. But now that he's in you, he expects you to participate in the rebuilding of the walls and the temple and the homes of this promised land called your life. You're not responsible for your own forgiveness. That's all Jesus. You're not responsible for your new nature coming in and taking up, him coming and taking up residence. Gospel 101. You can't live the Christian life. Period. It's impossible. But there is someone who can. Who is that? Come on, it's the Sunday school answer. Yes. And he wants to live it through you and me. But he won't live it without your participation. So what we're talking about in Nehemiah is the people of God coming into the land of promise and, oh my word, there's work to be done. Nehemiah finds out, the messengers come to him. I'm just going to summarize chapter 1. The messengers come to him, and when he, t when he asks, how's it going? And they say, the walls are destroyed. The, the shame of our people has not been removed yet, even though we're home. He weeps for days. He fasts for days. He grieves. 
He owns the problem and he grieves the problem. He does not, like a lot of modern people, including you and me, tempted to run away from our problems and just self-medicate. Right? Some people use drugs to self-medicate. Some people use workaholism to self-medicate. Some people use social media binging to self-medicate. Anything can be used to self-medicate. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to look at that. And he goes ahead and stares at the thing. Right? He owns the problem. And then he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he has this incredible confession prayer, which we, which we read last week. And then he goes before the king. His job was a cupbearer, so nothing in his resume says, you should be the administrative leader of this major restoration project in Jerusalem. No, he's a cupbearer. Right? God uses the willing. He qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. In fact, he calls the unqualified so that we don't get big britches and take credit for stuff he did. So when you say to God, it's too hard, it's beyond me, I can't, he goes, duh. That's what qualifies you. If you thought you were qualified, that's going to go all kinds of problems. That's going to be a mess. So he cries. He owns the problem. Even though it's not his fault, he makes it his problem. He doesn't just stand back and go, churches are stupid. These churches around here are so stupid. I go to these churches, and they're all so stupid. I just can't find a good one. I just can't find a good one. I just can't find a good one. They're all stupid. <sighs> Bro, then what you're going to do is you're going to sit at home and you're going to podcast some dude in California who doesn't have any relationship with you. And you know what I noticed? God made us to have like actual relationship with the real church. If you're not in my life enough to sin against me, then you're not really church. In fact, if you don't love me, even though you see my sin, I'm not experiencing church yet. If you only love me for my gifts and contribution and my spirituality, it's not church yet. It's not church till you love me and my sin. And it's not church for you until you love people who are disappointing. If you find a church that's exactly how you want, the only way for it to stay that way is for you not to go there because you'll screw it up. Unless you don't know yourself and you actually think you are the Messiah. Walking on water. That was a Doc Holiday kind of a quote there. Because you've got to bring Tombstone into just about everything, don't you, Eric? Yeah. So here he comes. Nehemiah owns the problem, even though it's not his fault. He makes it his problem, and he weeps, and then he gets a plan, and he goes before the king, and we find that little cool verse that says, I, I, I prayed to the Lord and I answered the king, right? So the whole concept there of just that little, little quick ping, ping prayers, so good. I'm still trying to get us up to chapter two. Well, now we're in chapter two with that. And the king says, what's wrong? Nehemiah tells him exactly what's wrong. And then the king says, I will fund that operation. I will send soldiers with you. I will give you permission. I will give you, I will give you workers. I will give you money. Go fix the problem. All right, so where can we pick up here? I'm going to pick up at verse 8. And he also gave him letters addressed to Asaph, the managers of the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple and for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted all of these requests, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, because the gracious hand of God was upon me. 
When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them, and the king, I should add, had sent along, an, sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Because, by the way, if, in the ancient world, if you got stuff and then you try to take it on the road, having stuff with you on the road is dangerous. Did you know that's why Jesus said, take no wallet, no purse, no fancy stuff. Don't take stuff with you. It makes you a target for theft. Isn't that interesting? Take nothing with you so that you're not a target, so that it's safer for you. That's, we always thought it was just like, so it's radical faith. And I'm sure that's a part of it. But it's actually a practical consideration. You know? Usually when I'm out there walking on the road, I keep lots of gold in my leather wallet. No, I don't. I take nothing. I don't even take my, license, my driver's license anymore because I have an app on my phone. And I use Apple Pay. And if your business doesn't take Apple Pay, I'm like, then I don't come here anymore. Okay. Lowe's doesn't take Apple Pay. Neither does Walmart. Come on, y'all. Get it together. What year is it? All right. So this guy gets a security detail because he's got a lot of stuff he's taken back. All right. Let's see. Where was I? Okay. Verse 10. You're going to hear a lot about these guys when we get to the sermon on chapter 4. Is it chapter 4? Oh, Sanballat. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Every time you try to set God's will in motion, you know you're going to offend the people who are benefiting from the current arrangement, right? This is well-known. Counselors know this when they're doing family counseling, that if, if little Timmy starts to say, Daddy, I wish you wouldn't get drunk and beat Mommy, little Timmy's going to get blamed. That if Mommy starts to say, I refuse to be treated this way, the, the extended family will say, how dare you bring our whole family into such shame, as though she's to blame. That if you get healthy, it's just a well-known truth, if you get healthy, are you with me? If you get healthy, people who benefit from the current arrangement will blame you for screwing up the functionally unwell system. So Nehemiah says, hey, how about we rebuild Jerusalem and Sanballat and Tobiah they go, hey, wait a minute. I'm sitting pretty with this current arrangement. This isn't good. And guess what? You're going to hear about Tobiah a lot because the, the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem that actually should be rebuilding, they think he's the coolest. They think Tobiah's the best. They, he's their favorite because if I'm with him, then I'm cool because he dresses cool and he's attractive and everybody likes him. And if I'm with him, then I'm a winner. And he's their enemy, but he's a flatterer, and he's important, and he's rich, and they love the attention he gives them. And Nehemiah's got to fight this nonsense. Because you you don't just come in and go, I'm going to fix the problem, and have everyone go, he's going to fix the problem. That's not how it goes. They go, nah. I'd rather just do what I want to do. All right, here we go. So I arrived in Jerusalem, and three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I hadn't told anyone about the plans that God had put into my heart 
for Jerusalem. Notice that. He didn't say that God told me. Not everything needs a word from the Lord. Some things God puts in your heart. You just can't shake them. Many years ago, the Lord started to talk to me like this. I'd say, what am I going to preach about this Sunday, God? Because that's how I sound, right? You know what I mean? That's my voice. That's just how I sound. Oh, God, how's it going? That's my actual voice. You wouldn't know that, but in my heart, that's my voice. And then God says, what do you want to preach about? And I said, huh? I just repeated the question. What am I supposed to preach about? And he says, what do you want to preach about? I said, I'm uncomfortable with this. And he says, of course you are. You have a deep fear of failure, so you try to avoid taking responsibility and having freedom. And I was like, huh? I'm trying to serve you and do your will. And he's like, yeah. And you want me to robotically tell you step by step what to do. So if it doesn't work, it's not your fault. And I was like, what? Are you, what? Hold, hold up now. I didn't sign up for a healing session. I just wanted you to give me a Bible passage. That's all I need, Lord, just a Bible passage. We don't need deep inner healing. Come on. And he says, what's on your heart? And I'm thinking, well, actually, there's about three things. And there's pots simmering. This is how my creative heart works. There's pots simmering on the stove, you know? And some of them are just starting. The noodles are not ready. They need time, right? The sauce is not ready. It needs time. But others of them, you can kind of taste them and go, that's a little more ready. And usually what happens is as Sunday approaches, I have this perpetual question in my mind of, what the heck am I going to say? Because I don't know. Yeah, I hear about other preachers. They're like, oh, yeah, so I took a sabbatical and I mapped out the next three years worth of sermons. And, uh, and I go, what? Did you map out the next three years of how you were going to kiss your wife too, you weirdo? Because <laughs> that's just not how... I'm like, I like kind of the risk of wondering if this is even going to work. You know? By faith, we just kind of jump. You know? Nehemiah, Nehemiah, in his heart, something grew so big when he was crying and when he was praying that he had to do something. He had to do something. If he didn't do something, it would have gone with him and it would have made him sick. He would have, he would have ended up going, oh, no, no, I can't. I have to do this thing. And that's okay. Some of us are like, Oh, I disobeyed the Lord by, he was trying to talk to me and then I went over here. No, it's fine. It's fine. God has a GPS. He doesn't have like, you know how you used to have to print out your directions? You kids will never grow up knowing what it's like to literally print directions from MapQuest. Gabe, we used to print directions from MapQuest and then you would would look at them and you'd be like, oh, uh, 17 miles and then I got to make sure I don't miss my turn. You grow up with, there's an app on your phone and it says, in two miles, turn right on such and such. And that shows you like a little picture of where your turn is going to be and like what it looks like. That's actually how God works. God works much more like a GPS that can say, recalculating (laughs) in 100 yards, do a U-turn, Jonah, turn around, Jonah, 
turn around. Jonah, I'm serious. All right, fine, have it your way. <laughs> Whale. <laughs> and then you got the pagans in the boat going, uh, uh, you take him, God. <laughs> oh, that's a good story, by the way. Yeah, read that one at home. So God can just put things into your heart that grow big. You don't need, not everything needs the audible voice of God or three prophets. Some things God makes it so that you just, you have to. You can't help yourself. You have to. So he sneaks out in the middle of the night. He hadn't told anyone about the plans God put in his heart. He says, we took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. I'm assuming that's for stealth and silence. Are donkeys quiet? Hmm. After dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. That's how bad it is. So, though it was still dark, I went up to Kidron Valley, inspected the wall before I turned back, entered again at the valley gate, and the city officials didn't know that I, like that I was out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. How many of you guys, while you're still like processing, and like just as soon as an idea jumps into your head, you make a declaration to the universe online or in every conversation that that's what you're now going to do forever, and you're gonna, that's going to be your thing now. Nobody wants to admit it. Some of us are kind of like that. Yeah, that's the way I am now. I do that. I do it every day, all day. That's my new thing. I'm all about it. It's going to be my thing forever. And then like three months later, you have quit. That's not Nehemiah. He actually takes the time to inspect and evaluate and gain intel and get a lay of the land and really evaluate what this is going to cost, not just him, but everyone he tries to bring along. Because the thing God's called you to is too big to do alone, which is part of my argument. The earlier dude I just mentioned who's like, oh, I can't find a good church. No church is good enough for me. I'm like, bro, the thing God's called you to, you can't do alone. And here you are at home, judging churches you were meant to serve, rejecting people you were meant to serve in love, forbear with patiently in love, and in the context of an imperfect community, together you are going to be able to achieve something through the irritating process of real friendships, because the irritation is necessary. Come on. Why do you think people whine about their marriage, which they would never leave and is their favorite thing in their life? Because anything worth doing is hard. Period. And you go, that's not true. And then you think of a donut. and uh, <laughs> But there's a cost to the donut, friend. Especially if you're me. Blood sugar crash. Complete depression. Okay. He sneaks around and he gets a lay of the land. He does the research because he's about to call people to something. And how do you call people to something if you don't even know what you're calling them to yet? He's calling them to some extremely hard work to put other things that they had been spending their time on and take a break from their thing, their business, their family, their vacations, their hobbies, their interests, their agendas, their little lives that they're trying to get. And he says, you, can, you, can you put all that stuff you're living for on hold so that you can prioritize God's kingdom for a minute? 
so that we can fix some stuff in God's house that's out of order. There's another prophet that lived at the same time called Haggai. I love the book of Haggai. What he says, he goes to God's people and he says, is it right that you are living in a beautiful house with wood paneled walls? I used to have an office in Kentucky with wood paneled walls and I liked it. It was big in the 70s. Actually, did you see the little wood panels we have on the walls here? You know that? See that? What's that called? Wainscoting? Just pointing that out. God says to Haggai, is it right that you guys are sitting pretty in comfortable little houses working on your little hopes and dreams while my temple is in ruins? And Haggai basically says, guys, what God needs from you is going to cost you something. And the people freak out in obedience and they actually do it. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, back to Nehemiah. Same generation. City officials didn't know where I, where I was, what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Sometimes it's that right there is, is hard. The thing in the room, everyone knows, and no one wants to admit. Are you with me? And he goes there. You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. There's some people, man, we would rather sit around blaming people for the disgrace for the next 20 years on the sidelines of our own lives. On the sidelines, metaphorically, of our own lives with a story about who wronged us, who did it, who hurt us, who broke the wall down, who burned the door, who invaded, who took after that happened, when they saw we were, we would have a story, man. Some of us would have a story for the next 20 years living on this, sitting on the sidelines of our own lives. And yet, all it takes is to get broken out of that past-centered, poor-me, passive, I'm-a-victim lie that's based in a lot of facts, but still is a lie. It's, a lot of facts are in the lie. A lot of accurate information, a lot of factual data can be utilized to come to a conclusion that is destructive and demonic. Or... We could say, I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to stay stuck. But you know what? It's, it's actually not complicated. How complicated is it to clear out the rubble and lay a new foundation and put bricks on it? It's not complicated. It's just completely inconvenient. It's just sweat. It's just saying no to the comfort of licking my wounds and having someone to blame. 
Did you know if you try, you might fail? (laughs) Homer Simpson said to Bart one time, and I thought it was the best ever, Son, if you try and fail, never try. Never try? What? Never try? I got the quote all screwed up. Find it, fix it. But I love the conclusion, like last night, uh, Michelson and uh, Silas talking about dating. And I came out and I said, I have two pieces of dating advice for you boys. With my, I'm an old man kind of walk, you know. Was I shirtless? I was probably shirtless. I usually am. Because that adds to the motif. Uh, boy, listen to me, boys. I'm going to give you some dating advice. People say, be yourself. Don't be yourself. No one likes the real you. And that's the first piece of advice. And the second piece of advice is uh, lower your standards. You're never going to get a woman that, that's, that's, that, at that level. You've got to lower your standards. So don't be yourself and lower your standards. And then I had to make sure they knew. Opposite of what I said is the actual truth. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. What's the quote? You tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is never try. You tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is never try. Guys, that's a joke, but do you hear how deeply accurate that is? Some of us, we thought we gave it our all. We said, I gave it my college effort and I got hurt so stinking bad. I thought I signed up to serve God to win battles. I thought I signed up to see the glory of God and to see the kingdom come on earth. I didn't know I was going to be lying wounded in a battlefield from friendly fire. I didn't sign up for this. Yes, you When Jesus calls a man, he says, come and take bullets for me. He said cross, but let me translate. Come and take bullets for me. Come and take pot shots for me. Come get your ego destroyed. Come get your reputation thrown into the mud. Come be rejected. Come be misunderstood. Come be called what you're not and mistaken for someone you would never understand. We signed up for this. It's like trick question. If you were told that Jesus, if you, if Jesus required you to love your enemies and forgive those who hurt you and be kind to others when they're mean, would you still be a Christian? Trick question, right? Would, if you found out that your life serving God would cost you Most of the things most people are living for, would you still do it? Trick question. It's not complicated what he's called us to do. It's not complicated. It's just inconvenient. It's just hard work. I don't know. Do you know this yet? You could say this with me. I'm made to do hard work. God made me to do hard work. I got saved for good works in Christ Jesus. Earlier I said, Jonathan, you didn't do nothing to put yourself in Christ Jesus. You didn't earn your forgiveness. It was a free gift. You didn't earn the the nature of Jesus came onto you. You didn't do it. He did it. But now that you're in him, you were saved for good works in Christ Jesus that God prepared in advance for you to do. Notice the word work is in there. 
I've been created in Christ Jesus to do hard things. And when I do those hard things, one part of me dies, but another part of me, a deeper part of me, comes alive. I'm telling you, sit on the sidelines. You'll be bored with Christianity. The Bible will be boring and irrelevant to you. Because this book is only relevant to people who are actually doing the works of Jesus. If you're doing the works of Jesus, this book unlocks and becomes the most relevant thing you ever heard in your life. But if you're just using it to have a better day, no wonder. It's boring and weird. Are we okay? Let's rebuild the wall. This is their response. I'll just read the sentence again. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about the gracious hand of God that had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And then this next part of this verse is just nutty. It's crazy. You're not going to believe it. It's outrageous. It's stunning. It's shocking. Doctors in Seaford want to know what this one weird trick does to lower your insurance premiums. I just turned into a spam advertisement on the side of it, social media. This verse is crazy to me. So they began the good work. I heard somebody say, starting is easy, finishing is hard. And I thought, wrong. More people sit on the sidelines and never start than, they, than those who quit. Starting is the hard part. Was that me? Did I do that? <laughs> starting is the hard part. You know the hardest part about me going running it when I go running? It's not the running. It's getting my shoes on and going out the front door. Dude, if I get my shoes on and I go out the front door, I got my three miles already. It's just a matter of... Uh, the rest of it is this. Uh. But if I don't win the battle of the decision in my mind first, the battle of mind over matter, once I'm outside, will never be, never be won. Man. I'm staggered by this. You know how long it took him to get it done? It's gonna, we're gonna, next week, we're going to talk about who did what and how important it is. Your little sacrifices, your little practical things that you do for God, the little tiny practical things you do for God as just a regular human in a regular body in a regular town, how incredibly eternally important they are. And then chapter four says, and they finished the work and it only took 52 days. 52 days, 52 days. It's not impossible what God's asking you to do. It looks impossible from where you are. It's not complicated what God's asking you to do, but we make it complicated in our mind so we can have someone to blame. All right, prayer team. We can do it, man. We can partner with what the Lord's saying.
We can say our yes, we can mean it, and we can start. And God can restore the walls of our life to where we can be productive again, to where we can have healthy relationships again, to where we can have a healthy walk with God again, where actually his feelings are the most important feelings in any of the relationships we're in. What do you guys got today? Beginning of worship, um, while we were up there worshiping, I got a pain in between my two shoulder blades. So anybody with back pain, please come up and get some prayer. Or have current pain, any pain. Did you got something for today yet? Stan said something. Yeah. So in the middle of worship, the Lord gave me that he's with you, that he's for you, and he fights for you. And anybody in this house that needs joy, I want to pray for you that God would would restore your joy. So that's what I got. Did you see anything today? This boy sees stuff. He's always seeing angels and then not telling anybody. And it's like, bro, what? He's like, yeah, I saw a 30-foot angel. You know, no big deal. Had a big old sword. No biggie. Tell me that stuff. I don't see nothing. I see people. Anything, guys? Friday night, we went to a thing, a church thing. Um, and I forget what the title is. Faith for the fire. We're either in the fire. We're going into the fire. We've come out of the fire. Anyway, uh, in quotes, even if faith, which is what you were talking about. That's all. Even if. So I asked this group to be ready to lay hands on for impartation prayers for just, just for more. Just more, more God. More of your presence. More of that indwelling energy of God that helps us do God's will and know God. So hopefully they'll be aggressive about that. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for Nehemiah's example. We thank you, God, for your scripture. I ask, God, that as we've just read it and talked about it today, that your Holy Spirit would take it and make it powerful. Point out the stuff in our lives that you are wanting us to say, yeah, I'm willing to work with you, God, to rebuild that. Point it out to us, God, and show us that this is a joyful thing. This is, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. You're not an angry God. You are a loving Father. You want us to thrive, and so you want us to be whole. And, and, and yeah, sometimes it takes work. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this word. I ask that you'd empower it. Bless this house. So repeat after me. God, you love me. God, you're for me. God, you're with me. I am not alone. My Father is with me. I am not alone. My Father is with me. Amen. Bless you guys. You're dismissed.